Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is Warren Furman, also known as Ace on the classic TV series Gladiators. Warren Furman, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here, John. It's great to have you on the programme. I've wanted to have you on for a long time and I'm thrilled you're on today. Where did you grow up, Warren? So I was born in Doncaster, so my early years were Doncaster, but I pretty much grew up in Essex. I'm an Essex boy at heart, really, John. Which part of Essex? So I was in Harlow, which is just outside, probably 20 miles out of London. Yeah. So. Now, so uh, school, you stopped going to school when you were around 16? Yep, yep, straight. I, I've got uh, attention deficit di disorder. It wasn't really sort of known back then, so academically I struggled a little bit. Um, so it was pretty much get out and get into the working, working world. So, yeah, there was no college for me, anything like that. And then your dad kicked you out of the house? You, well, yeah, yeah. At the time, <laughs> I just thought he didn't like me. You know, I, I couldn't fully understand why he would kick me out. But um, well, what, at, what did he actually say to you? Get out. <laughs> no, so, so he What said, motivated him to kick you out? Uh, so my dad was very much a pragmatic man, you know, honest, hardworking. And he was very much like skills pay the bills. You know, he said, you will all be roofers. At the time, I thought he just wants free labourers. And I was like a skinny kid, so I'd go work with him, you know, in school holidays and stuff. And it was just roofing, such a hard job. Yes. You know, and, and the other thing is in England, it's always raining, so you can never really earn any, any money. And he'd be like, well, if you work hard and play hard, you'll have a great life. But that's not what I saw. So I rebelled in that. I just said, no, Dad, that's, that's not what I want to do. And so, um, you know, I just, I had an idol to follow and it was a movie star. And I just thought, you know, it's all about being somebody so I thought I'll follow Schwarzenegger and I'll be a movie star and I'll move to Hollywood and I'll live happily ever after and I won't have to work on any roofs so it caused problems with my dad because he's like my son's deluded he's a dreamer and uh, and he said to me if you don't have a job by the time you know school finishes he said, I'm going to kick you out so it was pretty much like sink or swim so I understand why he did it and he had another great saying anything that consumes without producing will fail and because I was bodybuilding at that time, I was drinking all the milk at home, eating all the chicken and the tuna, <laughs> consuming everything, and I'm producing nothing. So he was like, I'm not allowing this. Out you go. And he kicked me out and I moved into the YWCA, the Young Women's Christian Association in Harlow. Well, so they, they kind of felt you're eating everything in the house, but you're not producing anything. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it makes sense, really, doesn't it? You know, if, something, if, if you're taking all the time and you're not giving, you know, you're going to fail at some point. So it made sense. But I was a bit like, well, I can't be a movie star if I don't look like one. But I didn't know that you had to use anabolic steroids. It's not like the Internet now where you can just tap it in and people you can find out quite quickly how people look like that. But I had no idea that to look like that, that you had to take steroids. So I got to a point as well, if you could imagine living in there and then having to self-administer anabolic steroids because I got so far and then realised, actually, I'm not going to. I put all my eggs in this basket, but I'm not going to get to Hollywood unless I look like Sylvester Stallone or Schwarzenegger. So I then had to go into the murky world of uh, self-administering drugs, yeah, which was not good. Where did the idea come from about you applying to the Gladiators? Uh, Stepping Stone. So Gladiators was like the first reality TV show. There was just four channels back then. And uh, ITV had all the money. And so, you know, if you was a, a member of the public, you could go on as a contestant against the gladiators and you could win cars, money, holidays. But I just thought, no, I don't want to be a contestant. I need to be a gladiator. Um, but I thought if I could get to be a gladiator, then I've cracked it, you know, and that's really what happened. You know, so just... what did you do? How did you so let I, them know about you? I wrote a letter in 
and it was you know a real you know a real cheesy letter where I was like you know I should be the next gladiator and I'm great and I'm this and I'm that but actually um, I was quite I'm quite an introverted sort of person so you know I'd, I'd done all this so when they rang me up and said you know come in for a tryout I thought it was a joke I was like really and I, I sort of gone in uh, and then they've pitted me against I think it's 60 odd other fellas bodybuilders in a gym in London and we all had to fight with each other for the day and uh, it was at the end of that they said you've got the job you know so I went from literally having nothing to pretty much having everything anything that I could want and that was like yeah so they signed you basically offered you a contract for the series yes and then they sent a limousine to where you were staying to take you to the airport so that you can go on yeah how long was the the was it kind of preparation time uh, yeah, so it was a gladiators training camp. Training so, you camp. Know, I'd been nowhere. I'd had no real life experience. And I was like living in this this hostel. And then they sent a big stretch Mercedes limousine. And they picked me up. And then I meet all the gladiators in uh, Heathrow Airport in the first class lounge for Air Mauritius. And they fly as first class to Mauritius to the gladiators training camp. It was like, I felt like I'd died and gone to heaven. I thought, is this really happening? You know, and I, and I was I was starstruck. You know, even more than when I met you, John. You know, I was absolutely <laughs> starstruck. I'm like, here's Jet, here's Wolf, and, I, and here I am. I'm yes, like, you. I'm in this big seat that turns into a bed, and I'm flying to the other side of the world. And, you know, and so I remember speaking to my dad. He was really humble, actually. He said, I've got to take my hat off to your side. He said, you've cracked it. You know, I, I, I've been going against your You went with your heart and your passion. You did what you said you would do, and it's paying off. And he said, it's winning me work as a roofer. He said, I tell people, my son's a gladiator. They say, well, you do my roof, and I can charge more. So, <laughs> so, and I was quite, you know, I was con- started to get conceited. Why wouldn't you? You know, somebody, they give you a name of Ace and you're now a celebrity. Oh, so you, w- you didn't choose the name, they gave it to you? Well, that, that's ambiguous. So they said that, you know, you can choose your name, but you try choosing a name that you know that you're going to be known for for the rest of your life. And the other gladiators are like called like Warrior and destroyer and you're like it's a bit embarrassing well they're scary names aren't they yeah but you want to be scary because your job as a gladiator is to crush people so if you go in and you've chosen a naff name you're not going to have to follow in you know so when they said but they suggested ace so when they said oh you know we think ace is a really good idea i was like ace is rubbish who's going to be scared of ace you know what i mean and uh and and so they we battled a little bit actually i did with the producers i was thinking of other names couldn't come up with any and uh then they said to me one day um Actually, we think Ace is a really good idea because um, McVitie's are bringing out a chocolate biscuit and it comes with thousands of pounds worth of advertising uh, that you'll get affiliated with. I said, I love that name, Ace. You know, as soon as I knew money was involved, I sold out and, uh, and I regretted it, actually, because I didn't. What they didn't tell me is that the biscuit had a, had a strap line when it did come out and it was known as the incredibly thick chocolate biscuit. Yes. And so I got known as the incredibly thick chocolate biscuit. And I, found, I even struggled saying that, you know, from Essex. Yes. I was like, the incredibly thick chocolate biscuit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, so it was a bit of an own goal, really, John, in all honesty. I sold out commercially, I'm afraid. Well, uh, my wife and I and our three sons, we watched you every week. Saturday night, it was one of those ones we always watched with a bit of pizza. And yeah. it was a huge success, the series, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And... and uh, and even now, I'm, you know, I'm amazed, really. I'm told it's collective culture and it has a real special place in people's memories. You know, they're saying it's really nostalgic. I was home with mum and dad and it was a Saturday night and we were relaxing. And of course, being a family show, it was good in that it encouraged exercise. You know, it had its darker days before they got rid of the, the steroids and, and took us for Olympic 
doping control to make sure that it wasn't, you know, there was none of that going on. Um, but it was a wholesome family show in the end that anyone, you know, dad could apply to it and go on there and become a, a star. So it was great. But one thing I remember about you on the series, you always smiled. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, it's was that bit, natural? No, I think I was just scared. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a bit like being a footballer. If you didn't, if you didn't, if you don't score a goal as a footballer, you know, you know, you're not getting your contract renewed. And it was like that as a gladiator. If we didn't get 70% wins, we were sacked. So it's like, okay, a bit like the rest, wrestling personas now, am I going to be a goodie or a baddie? You know, and, and, and British people are not really like Americans when it comes to wrestling. That They can see something if it's phony, whereas in America they seem to love the wrestling. But here, if you put on a bad persona, you're not really a baddie, it don't really wash. So I thought, if I just smile, people might like me smiling. And it actually, it helped me at the, um, the tryout. Because everyone else was fighting sort of to the death and growling and snarling because they wanted this top TV job, and I thought, well, if this has got, if this is a kids' TV show, surely they're going to want controlled aggression. So as I was hitting people and being hit, I was smiling all the way through it, and it seemed to, seemed to win me the gig. So I thought I'll carry on doing that. That's what I did. So several years of what we might call treasure, leisure, pleasure. I like it. Yeah. Wine, women, song. It was, but. How did you feel during that season? Like a kid in a sweet shop. I could have anything I wanted all of a sudden, you know, from having a life that I didn't grow up in poverty, but we were, we were poor pretty much. Um, and now all of a sudden I could go and buy the cars I wanted. I could do anything I wanted. You know, I could have the clothes I wanted. And people wanted to sponsor you. Yeah, so everything was for free. You know, I didn't even, I didn't even understand what a commercially important person was. So I got that. I'd heard of VIP, very important person. Now they're like, you're commercially important. Companies now are going to want to, Oh, so products. you were CIP. I was a CIP. Yeah. And so I didn't, like I say, what's how I started to learn that to be a CIP, you're pretty much, you're not in the real world any, anymore you, because you're a celebrity in a celebrity culture. You get everything for free um, because, you know, these brands want to put their clothes on you because you look like the perfect person, you know, and you've got the muscles and the women and the lifestyle and you're in Mauritius and it's sunshine and everything's uh, perfect. But were you content? Um, content. Uh, were you happy? No, because I was initially, but nobody taught me the paradox of pleasure. The more you get of something, the less it satisfies. So quite quickly, I pretty much had all the things I wanted and I was feeling empty and I couldn't understand it. And also show business, the clues in the name, I'm not that bright. It's a business. Yeah, it's a business. <laughs> I thought if I get in showbiz, it'll be, you know, champagne, red carpets, living happily ever after. But actually, it's one of the harshest business. Although yeah. it's all air kisses, lovey darling, there's a lot of sticking forks in backs, you know. So my heart had gone hard. Um, I was conceited. Um, I didn't trust people. And, and bear in mind as well, John, that I was now being paid to sell lies. So it was in the days where, you know, there's Rupert Murdoch newspapers and Max Clifford. And it's like, OK, what's the most salacious story you can sell us? I'm like, I don't have any stories. Well, make some up. We'll pay you thousands. I'm like, really? You can actually pay? make up a story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the magazines and the papers are saying, right. why don't you date with this person? Why don't you get with that person? We'll pay you a few quid for it. And I'm like, so essentially all these creating or almost gossip. Yes. Just to sell more papers. Yeah, and I grew up in that environment. So all the papers that are asking me to do this stuff and all the papers that I'd be reading, my mum would be reading, dad and all my family are reading. Now all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, so it's an attention economy as well. So I need to stay relevant. God, this is a, this is a win-win situation. Because not only does it keep me in the newspapers, it also makes me money and I can just, you know, I don't have to work. I can just make up lies and get paid for it. So what does that do to a young, a young life, a young man who's being told, 
actually, not only are you celebrated, you're winning, you're doing better than everyone else, but actually you're being rewarded for telling lies and selling them lies for people to read. You know, you're, there's a market out there that wants to read this stuff. So if you can create that, you'll be very well rewarded. You can have all this if you just go this way. And that's really what happened. So as much as on the outside, I looked like I had everything, this great life, I knew that I was spiritually empty. Yes. I knew I was becoming corrupt. I knew I was conceited. Genuine people, like my own brothers, were saying, all this A stuff, I've had enough. It's, it's not even nice being around you. I'm like, what are you talking about? You can come to all the best clubs and the best places. And, and so, again, being conceited, I thought, no, they must be jealous. You know, because if everyone's telling you you're ace, yes. you start believing it, you know. So real genuine people started to come away from me. Then I had tons and tons of friends, but they wanted to be friends affiliated with ace from the TV show Gladiators. And I was acutely yeah, aware of that. which is a different persona. Yes. yes Whereas your real. brothers knew who the real Warren was. Exactly, exactly. But even in your love life, it's like that. So it's like, you know, the closest person to you, you think, can I trust his person? Or are they just trying to get, is this, am I a stepping stone for them to get somewhere? So I thought, like I say, I'd be liberated, you know, and I'd be, you know, in this celebrity world, I'd be liberating it to bring freedom. But actually, it was more fear in that. You know, I was like, oh, what if I lose the job? What am I going to do next? Oh, what, what if she's with me because I'm famous? What if it, she's so I was like a suspicious person. So I found actually, you know, that, 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 that being a celebrity actually separated me from real people in a lot of ways. And, you know, I'd always wanted to be accepted. That's why I was lifting the weights, you know, and, and, and a lot of it was armour out of fear, you know, and I wanted to be loved. And now I'm in this place where I think, yeah, I'm loved by thousands of people, maybe, as Ace from Gladys, but that's not no. really me. So spiritually, I knew something was a myth. Something. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and as you hinted at earlier, uh, Warren, it was, it's like drinking seawater. The more you drink, the more thirsty you become. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the end, it, for me, it became um, really not a good place to be because life life didn't shine without a glass of wine now. So if I'm going to all these celebrity do's and stuff and they're giving you free champagne as soon as you walk in, I'm like, oh, this is fun because it's all like everything's a nightclub, everything's a party. Um, and so these things started to become a habit. You know, I noticed the drink was creeping up on me. And, and when I was out, I started to smoke. You know, here I was supposed to be an athlete. Yes. But I'm like, I want another buzz. What's that? Oh, I'll smoke a cigarette. Oh, that gives me a little bit of a buzz. I'll become a social smoker. It's like, what's going on here? I'm now getting caught up in this stuff. And so I you know, started getting into bondage to drinking and smoking and stuff. And I, so I started to notice, in these things, notice these things creeping up on me. But again, I didn't, I didn't understand it. And I heard something recently that resonated with me where they said, um, your, your success has a way of taking you to places where your character can't sustain you. Yes. That's very yeah, good. And, that's, and you know, I grew up being told by my parents that there wasn't a God because my younger brother died. That made perfect sense to me. So if there's no God and you're looking for the purpose for your life, but you're not, your morality is not really rooted in anything, and you're being rewarded for selling lies and stuff, where's this going to take you? You know. So I was a confused young man at that confused, point. Confused, yeah. yeah. So the series comes to an end. What did you do after that? Uh, I went on a spiritual search. <laughs> anywhere except Jesus. Anywhere except God. Um, I, you know, I look to culture, you know, says what Jesus is, this weak fella that just cries when he sees evil stuff or wanting nothing to do with that. And no one explained the gospel to me or stuff. Um, and, and I've been to enough churches to think this is just boring, you know, to standing up, sit down at organ. And Sunday morning as well, I like to go out on Saturday night and have a few beers. I would always have a headache on a Sunday morning. Church, not for me. So I went really on a spiritual search and there's so many different religions and spiritual teachings, yeah. esoteric teachings. So I was quite blessed in that I was able to examine the evidence of all of these things over a couple of year 
of a couple of years period, really. Yeah, so you were actually a reader and a thinker. You wanted to think things through. So when you got invited to the Alpha course, when you first heard about what what is this course about, having done so many other courses, what made you go on the Alpha course? Because a rich man, (laughs) a very rich man, uh, told me to go on it. So so I'd got this advice from this guy. Apparently, he advises, gives Prince Charles business advice and costs a fortune. And I've got this guy giving me free advice. And he says, I'm going to give you two bits of advice, Warren. Will you listen to him? And I'm like, of course I will. You are massively successful in the business world. And maybe if I just had your sort of wealth where you can get private jets, I would become happy. Um, and he said, two bits of advice. I said, go on. He said, number one, go on an alpha course. And I thought, oh, another course. What's that going to cost me? Um, uh, and then he said, and this shocked me to the core, he said, then get baptised and come back to me. And I thought, what? Why on earth would I get baptised? And then I th- what I also I struggled with is, I thought, well, he, he must be a Christian then. But he's got all this money. I thought that if you were going to be a Christian, you had to give everything away and yes. be poor, you know. And, and he just, I just, it threw me. But my wife has um, always identified as being a Christian and she said, actually, I'd like to come on this course as well. So we both went on the Alpha course. So you and your wife, Dee, both go on the Alpha course. Yes. What happened while you're doing the course? Um, so, like I say, we, it was the first time that I'd heard the gospel clearly. And um, frankly, it, it offended me, you know, to be told I'm a sinner. It's like, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person. And I don't do more good things than bad things. If there's a God who created me and loved me, it stands to reason. I'll be going to heaven if I die. So who are you to stand here telling me you're a sinner just because you've got a collar around your neck? You know, these things offended me, you know. And also, it all seemed too good to be true. You know, they're not asking me for anything. In fact, they're cooking me a meal and I'm like it. There's people around me I'm quite liking. And they're saying to me, you know, you could live forever so you don't have to live a life of fear anymore. You could live a life of love where not even fear can scare you, you know, and you're never truly alive. Um, if you're living under fear, but that's not God's plan for you. He created you as a plan for you. He loves you. And so this is just the beginning as well. God came that you can have an abundant life uh, and you can have a glorious one after this, you know, knowing God. You can have your sins forgiven and you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what's that? Bear in mind, John, I'd spent my life yes. wanting to be strong, wanting power, you know, and I'm saying you can have God's power. Like, what, what is this Holy Spirit? It moves like the wind. It's the, st- it's the power that gets stuff done. He's a person and he gets stuff done in this world. He comes, he lives in your heart. And when you get that power, everything changes because you move into your life's purpose and you start, you have God with you uh, and you actually start moving into what you created, to, what, you, what you were born for. You know, you don't, that's, this is your whole identity. You thought it was ace off gladiators. Guess what? Wake up, Cole. God created you for a purpose, but his love is unconditional love. He will not force himself on you. And I'm like, okay, this all sounds too good to be true. What's it going to cost me? A church membership? I've got to get write a checker about this point? What happens? So the, the tough bit for me was, no, it's free at the point of receiving it. You know, but essentially it will cost you everything because everything will change because your whole life will change as you, your, your eyes are opened into a whole spiritual dimension that you know nothing of. And the Bible word for that is grace. Yes. Isn't it? Absolutely. So when did you uh, discover that for yourself? Uh, well, I think I got so excited over that 10 week period on that Alpha course, I just tried to do everything I could to prove that this, you know, you can't substantiate these claims. You know, I'm saying there's no tangible evidence, even though I'm, you know, sat in a whopping great building built to the glory of God. <laughs> so no tangible evidence for this. And I'm going to London, I'm checking out the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Codex Sinaiticus, you know, the first Bible written, John's Gospel, there it is in the British uh, Library. Yeah, so your curiosity took you to find out more. Yeah, well, not, not just curiosity. You know, there's so many religions around now. There's so many d- 
dangerous yeah. things that can take you away from the reality, you know. And I, so I'm like, you can't take a chance on this stuff. If there's a God and there's a creator of this universe, I want to know the real one, not some phony one, and get myself and my whole family wrapped up in some trap that could be ultimately humiliating and, you know, and dangerous, you know. So I was examining all that evidence. And when I, when I come to the conclusion that Jesus was who he said he, he, he was, um, and that he's a son of God and that you can know him if you want to and that, that relationship's available. I was like, and they were, they were great on the Alpha Course actually because I remember saying, well, you know the biggest block between you and God now, don't you? I said, no, they said, you, you just can't humble yourself. You just can't, if you could humble yourself and get out of the way of yourself and invite God into your life and recognise that sin, it's not God wanting to punish you. You know, sin is just, you've gone your own way and that weren't God's plan for you, you know, and that's what repentance means. It just means turning around and go in the way God wants you to go, you know, and it's like, and guess what else? And this bit got me as well. It's like, you can't earn it and you can't learn it. Repentance, the great thing about the golden age that you are living in is that when you listen to Jesus and you repent, um, you don't have to try to do all this for yourself. The Holy Spirit comes. So with your smoking, with your drinking, with these things, you'll be filled with that Holy Spirit that will give you the power to overcome this stuff, the stuff that you won't be able to do. And so again, all seems so good to be true, but in answer to your question with the grace, I said uh, a prayer, I meant that prayer in my heart, and I'd, I'd investigated the Holy Spirit so much, I was excited, I was expecting some superpower to hit me there and then, you know, I'd seen so much of this razzmatazz on the internet, I thought, oh, what's going to happen? And I was really disappointed, I said the prayer, and then I opened my eyes and I thought, everything looks the same, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm levitating, nothing's happened. Um, but my wife saw such a change within me within the next two weeks. She said, you know, I've always identified as a Christian. She said, but something has happened and you are not the person you were. This prayer that you've said, I need to say. And she submitted. So she said it as well. She said this prayer, yeah. And, uh, uh, and everything changed for us, yeah. So you look back now. As you look back, how long ago was that? That was eight years ago. So these eight years, you've seen a transformation. Uh, yeah, everything's changed. I like to use a little saying that is, um, I came out of the rat race and I came into God's grace, which is yes. what you're saying. And you Absolutely. know, grace, God's unmerited favour. You know, people say, I want a blessed life. Well, that's what it is to have grace, you know. And so um, I look back and I think, yeah, it is a rat race. The human race is a rat race, you know. And if you're living under the condemnation of death, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you've only got put on the news to want to pull that quilt back over your head because it's a scary place to be, you know, and the world has no answers for these problems, but I know the answer to these problems is Absolutely. Jesus Christ. Well, since then, Warren, you and Dee, you, you've become gladiators for Jesus and uh, you ambassadors for Jesus and you've been teaching, preaching, speaking uh, throughout the UK, you go to other countries as well. And, uh, and I know you're going to schools and you do dress up. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, well, it, for me, it's all consuming that, you know, I have such an abundant life now, you know, and um, we've been entrusted with the most powerful message in the universe, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and God has been so faithful. He's given us so many, you know, I remember when I first shared some testimony and then I shared it again. And about after about the 10th time, I thought people are going to get sick of me telling this story, surely. But what I noticed in it is that people can't argue with testimony, you know. I mean, they can, but actually if God has worked in your life and there's evidence of that, it's really powerful. And somebody just stepping out across that room and telling me the full gospel, not just Jesus loves you, but actually you're separated from God, God by sin. 
And unless you invite God in, you're not really ever going to know him. And because I had to wait for 45 years to, to hear that, John, I'm really yes. passionate about making sure whenever I got to get an opportunity to share that gospel, I do. And as you say, it is, you know, there's warfare in that as a gladiator, you know, and in Ephesians 6, it says about putting the armour of God in. We're in a world that you can get very comfortable in. It can lure you away from your true divine purpose. And uh, so, yeah, I sometimes explain the, 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 um, the armour of God to, um, in a Christian context. But I also like going into schools to share the actual real um, Roman gladiator story. Um, and the reason I like to do that is because I always thought that Christmas was a sentimental Christmas story. You know, a church was a, a, a place where misfits fit. You know, if you're a bit soft and gentle, that's where you go. But it's not the real, the real hard world. So I find that with the real Roman gladiator story, it's really significant because we're talking about a real factual story that ties in with the history lessons. But most importantly, this is where Jesus turned up, right in the middle of it all. They had all these different gods and he turns up in the middle of it all and says, I'm the son of God. And they're like, no, you're not. We've got all these different gods. And if you're not careful, we'll stick you in that Colosseum and, or, you know, we'll nail you to one of them crosses. And he's a bit like, now I know this is not verbatim, but he's like, good luck with that. <laughs> and then within 300 years, the whole Roman Empire convert to Christianity, you know, and this is, you know, we're dealing in facts here. You know, this is, these are facts. This is not some religion. This is about the reality of a relationship, a relationship with the living God of the universe, you know, and it was 2022 years since he revealed himself and, uh, and he's still alive and you can know him, you know. So I just love being able to go out in any context, really, and share that truth. And um, God's given me lots of opportunities to do it. And I find the more, especially now in a post-truth culture as well, you know, where it's a bit like, oh, don't say too much, you know, because if you say too much, you might offend somebody. But it's a bit like, yeah, as long as we, we do it lovingly, um, we have to go into that area where we're risking offending because this person might not hear the truth. You know, and, and it's loving to tell them the truth. Otherwise, they don't even realise it. They're heading straight to hell. We don't want that. You know, God don't send anyone to hell. Millions of pe people are choosing it unwittingly, aren't they? Absolutely. And both you and your wife, Dee, amongst all of that, you're at Bible college. <laughs> now, this has got to be God. So I come out of school, as I say, I had no GCSEs. I couldn't even say the word, spell the word theology. And now I'm going to be doing a theology degree. <laughs> That's theology with a TH, I think. I know. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, incredible. Yeah, early on, I just want to tell everyone about Jesus, but I didn't fully understand that, you know, God gives you certain gifts and passions and, and, and you know, different things for you to be in the body, you know, for you to come together in a church with others, you know, and this is how the world's changed. The church is the hope of the world. I didn't understand these things. So I'm really excited. And I think, actually, we're living in a very significant age. I'm really seeing God on the move all over the place. And I'm really excited about that. So, yes, there's things that might, you know, you look at it and think, oh, well, this is scary. But actually, when you know God, you know that you're on the winning team. You know there's a solution to this. Uh, and you know that, you, you know, you're part of his story and he's going to use you to do something about it, which is incredible, isn't it? I mean, Absolutely, Warren. You are an absolute tonic. And you and your wife, Dee, are a beautiful couple. And uh, it's wonderful that you're ambassadors and gladiators for Jesus. Thank you, Warren, for joining us on Facing the Canon. My absolute pleasure. Let me come back soon. Thank you. Oh, wasn't that great? Uh, truly inspiring just to hear Warren's amazing transforming story. And he did it for Warren. He did it for his wife, Dee. He can do it for you as well. Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. 
To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Hi everyone, I'm delighted to be able to let you know that our new resource, How Can I Pray, is available now. This is a book targeted for primary school age children. If we're honest, we all find it hard to pray and it's good to remind ourselves of that beautiful prayer that the Lord Jesus instructed us to pray. This is beautifully illustrated and communicates very simply how we can talk to our Heavenly Father. Can I encourage you to purchase copies for your children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, for your churches and help children in their journey of faith. Get your copy now at canonjjohn.com.